Reading from the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to John, beginning with the ninth verse. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I have said these things to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have this funny little thing that I think is funny, and sometimes that doesn't work, does it? But that's okay. But I have this little thing that I think is funny, but I just want to tell you right off, I didn't actually get pulled over by the police, okay? Not recently. <laughs> One of my favorite times of getting pulled over is I got pulled over on the interstate. I had my dog Moses in the car. He was about two years old. And if you've ever had a black lab, that you, you know that a two-year-old black lab is worse than the toddler in the front row. Right? <laughs> They're all over the place. They don't even think for themselves. They just jump here and there and do stuff, don't they? That's what black labs do. Well, Moses was in the car seated in, in the little truck with me, and we were going down the interstate, and we were thinking about stuff, so we were going way too fast. And the highway patrolman pulled me over, and he was right to do so. And I'd had a pretty good string, you know, of getting pulled over for, you know, most of my life and getting a warning ticket. So I figured if I was respectful and nice... That might happen again because I didn't actually know how fast I was going. And so when he walked up to the truck, he didn't come on the left side. They had started coming on the right side, and I didn't know that. So it surprised me a little bit. So I didn't yet have the window rolled down because that car had, you know, remember those wind-down windows? Well, I reached over to do the wind-down window, and Moses saw the highway patrolman standing out the window and went ballistic. Just sounded like some kind of rabid thing, you know, worse than that big giant thing that they called, what was his name, the rabid dog? Cujo. It looked like Cujo going after the highway patrolman, and I said to myself, I'm getting this ticket. <laughs> no warning today. So here's how this thing goes. So the policeman pulled me over, and he said, son, where do you live? I said, with my parents. Where do your parents live? With me. Where, where do you all live? Together. 
Where's your house? Oh, it's next to my neighbor's house. Well, where is your neighbor's house? Well, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And the policeman said, well, well tell me. And I said, it's next to my house. Where do you live? You know, when people ask us a question like that, that's really an invitational question, isn't it? That's a something else is coming. When somebody asks you, where do you live? Like if a preacher asks you where you live, man, we want to know if we can get you in our church. Help you meet Jesus. That's what we're after. So if any other preachers ever ask you where you live, tell them you don't know. Where do you live? This thing is, is kind of accurate, isn't it? Don't we live next door to our neighbors? Don't we live in a circle of people? Don't we live in a circle of family members? Don't we live exactly how that really goes? Our home, the house that we live in, is not really the where we live. The where we live is all those places that our relationships take us. Is it, you think that's right? Does that sound about right? All those places that our relationships take us. You know, people used to say home is where the heart is. They used to cross-stitch that and put it on their doorways when people cross-stitched. Remember that? Home is where the heart is. Well, Jesus is coming to us and offering us a new place to live, I think, in this text. When He says to us, abide in my love. Now, the word abide is not a word we use much anymore. Sometimes we'll say flippantly, you're welcome to my humble abode, right? Which we mean to say my humble place of living. And it's an old way of talking that we think is, you know, nice and mannerful. So we'll say that and usually laugh afterward. But there's some truth in it. Our abode is wherever we dwell, wherever we stay, wherever we remain. And that's reflected in the word that Jesus used. A Greek word, meno, which means remain, stay, abide, live, dwell, last. It can mean endure. And it can mean continue. It's the same word that shows up in chapter 14, verse 2. You know, in the King James, we've always heard that in my father's house are many mansions, but it's not what it really says in the Greek. It says, in my father's house are many dwelling places, are many menoeta, which is from meno here. It just means rooms. And he's saying there's room for you and me. There will never not be room for you and me, is what Jesus was saying there. And he couples that here with the idea that the room for us in him is when we live in his love. Abide in my love, he says. It's the same as saying remain in my love, or dwell in my love, or stay in my love, and even better, to live in my love. Now in our modern way of speaking in language, we say people live in all kinds of things. Have you ever heard somebody say you're living in fear? Just because you don't want to get in a tank with a shark or something like that? Stop living in fear. People seem to be doing a abundantly good job of living in hatred these days, don't they? People are living in polarity. Our nation's so divided now, you don't even know which news source you can listen to. We live in polarity. 
we live in opposites. We live in all sorts of ways. We talk about living in fear, living in hatred, living in darkness, living in destruction, living in sorrow, living in sadness, living in despair, living in depression, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And Jesus would like to invite you this morning to live in something different, a new place, to live in His love, which means to let your whole life be colored by His love. Doesn't that sound better than letting your life be colored by hatred or jealousy or despair or envy or all of those other things that our marketing systems and our government officials try to provoke us into? I've noticed that more and more when government officials speak about something, they just tell us what's wrong with the other person and the other person's idea. They never tell us their idea about what's great about their idea. That's not living in love. That's living in divisiveness. But Jesus would invite us into something different. A different way of being. Of living not in our love, not in our ideas of love, but in His love. A love that gives itself for others. Abide in my love. Live in my love, He says. And perhaps hearing Him say that should cause us to wonder, where are we living? What is it that colors our life? What is it that most drives us? Are we living in greed? Are we living in need? Are we living in desire? Are we living in this or that or the other? Are we living in things that separate us from other people? Or are we living in the love of one who gave himself for all people? I think that's a great question. And I think it's exactly the question that's meant to be provoked in us. So that we can say back to him, what do you mean live in your love? Abide in your love. What in the world could that look like? And he says, keep my commandments. Well, then we might say, well, Jesus, what are your commandments? And if you are a Trinitarian, which most Methodists are, then you know that Jesus is responsible for all of the commandments in Scripture because he's God. He's Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. But specifically, didn't he say that the greatest commandments were to love God and love our neighbor? As ourself. And then in John 13, when he's in that room with his disciples and he washes their feet, he said to them, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, that makes it pretty plain then, doesn't it? Because how did he love us? He gave himself up for us. If you keep my commandments, you will live in my love. It sounds like a choice, doesn't it? We can continue on living for what we want to live for and couple that with living in greed, despair, lack of hope, all those things that the world produces. Or we can choose to live in His love. To think about His love. To dwell on His love. To let His love fill our thoughts and thereby change our actions. And you know what he says will happen then? We'll be his friends. And we've all said during the children's sermon, none of us thinks we have too many friends. Most of us could use another good friend. Sometime around 300 B.C. or so, a guy named Aristotle wrote this big ethic thing 
that has in there his ideas about friendship. And he said there's basically three kinds of friendship. The first kind is those friends are going to come around and be your friend because you have a utility for them. You're useful to them. Y'all know them kind of people, right? They show up in your life, they get what they need from you, and they're gone. You call them up, hey, no, I can't do that today. they just gone. Never hear from them again. That's how that works. That's how most friendships are. People come and they're our acquaintances because what they can get from us. They don't want to know our friends, right? Social promotion or business and all those things. All been true for centuries and centuries and centuries. He said there's a second kind of friendship that's pleasurable, that you enjoy being around someone because they're good looking or smart or intelligent or they're fun. And you need that kind of friendship too. He said, but the third is the best kind of friendship. It's the friend that chooses to be a friend. No matter what. The friend that desires friendship with you. Most often we call those best friends, don't we? And most of us say we have one, maybe two of those. We have one of those friends that we can pick up the phone 30 years later and call them and it'll be like it was yesterday. And those are people who need that friendship. They want that friendship. They just want to be your friend. And that's the kind of friend that Jesus is saying He is to us. He doesn't need us to be happy. He doesn't need us to feel fulfilled. He doesn't need us to make Him complete. He wants us. He chooses us. He chooses to be your friend and to invite you to live in that love. The kind of love that has already laid Himself down for you. There is no greater love. There is no greater love than the love of Christ who laid Himself down for you to call you friend. Paul puts a twist on that and says, even when we were still sinners, He died for us. To be a friend to us, we could add. Invited into friendship. So where do you live? What do we live in? What is our state of being? Are we living in despair? Are we living in depression? Are we living in doubt? Are we living in all those dangerous things that make us hurt? Or are we dwelling on the love of Christ and allowing that to color our lives? That's how we have friendship with Christ. That's how we become friends with God. Not by anything we do, but because He's chosen us to be our friend. And we simply allow it. We simply allow it. One of the things that Aristotle said about that third kind of friend is that they change you. That a true friend is just another self. And that those kinds of friends change us to be like them. Have you ever had one of those kinds of friends in your life where one day you notice that the more you hang out with them, the more you become like them? Jesus is that kind of friend. His presence in our life transforms us and draws us into joy. And I hope you caught that when he said it. 
I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Chasing after living in all sorts of other things doesn't produce joy. But living in the love of Jesus produces joy. And friendship. Two things I would say this world desperately needs. So as you come to the table today, remember that you come to the table of one who has chosen you as a friend. Who wants to be that friend in your life that changes you and makes you a better person. Who makes you more like Him. Dear ones, that's the good news. Amen.